0: everybody welcome to Mac talks uh, my name is John Gazza I am an instructional designer here at McClinnan Community College and I am joined by Nick Webb and Mary Sides today my guests, welcome to the podcast Thank you mm-hmm. We just heard a original recording of a from a student here that has gone through our music program what do you guys think about that uh, that song that he
1: it's wonderful. Absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Now, and I think the tremendous part of it, I assume you're not playing all eight minutes of this composition? No, not we, we, just, we just heard a couple minutes of it, yeah.
2: Or even the lyrics. I mean, I'd like to analyze also the lyrics in addition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's it's a work of art. And, um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll definitely, I can send you all the, the recording
0: to, to, to listen to on your own. Um, We're we're under a time crunch, so eight minutes I think would be a long, but it's a great mm-hmm. song. I've, I have listened to all eight minutes, so... Um, but you'll probably hear parts of it in the interlaced into the podcast, but that's one of the new things that we're doing here, uh, on the podcast is having students. So hopefully every new podcast will have a new student composition for you. Nick and Mary here are part of our OER team on campus committee I guess we're we are, are we a committee a team working group working group yeah and uh, I'm I'm on the committee as well as well and I'll shout out our, our teammates uh, Jessica Zabeda Kristen Cook Yolanda Gonzalez and um, of course Mary sides me and Nick I didn't miss anybody did I we're trying to I guess what 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 would you say we're trying to help increase awareness increase awareness
2: yeah, pr- promotes, I think, understanding, understanding, because there are some misunderstandings, which I think we'll probably talk about today as well. Yeah, but there's some great opportunities. Definitely.
0: Um, uh, before we get started though, because I like to loosen people up a little bit because conversations and I've, we've talked before, so I felt like we're, 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 okay, but just before we get into the meat potatoes, um, we do a little icebreaker just for fun, the last podcast, we talked a little bit about AI and chat GPT and I plugged in some names of podcasts Mary and Nick, would y'all listen to these podcasts? So number one, the name of the podcast is called I had had a question and it is about an English professor that takes advantage of their lonely office hours to answer all of your most grammatically and syntactically interesting questions. I had to work on them.
2: (laughs) What do you think about that? Would y'all listen to that one? Well, Joe, as an English professor, that's <laughs> <by> the internet <laughs> question, that's right up my alley. Uh, Look, let me show you, uh, I'll show you my cards a little bit. There's a, an NPR show called A Way With Words, uh-huh. and they come up with like weird phrases like it's hinky, uh-huh. and they like try to figure out where did they come up with that hinky, where's that word origin, or there's a website, and I'll just kind of show you my truth here grammar girl i love the grammar girl website <laughs> so i would be a loyal listener to your i had had a question with a uh, podcast well uh you know maybe
0: this is a podcast you can start you're <laughs> welcome to come in record the, um yeah i thought it was funny. i thought that was a good one to post for you so i'm just gonna say <laughs> that, is, that is a good
1: one. i would listen to it as well um i had a high school english teacher that we, we spent half a semester on grammar and vocabulary and stuff. And so um, I'll give a shout out to Mrs. Patricia Robertson from Wade high school. Okay. Um, she instilled a love of grammar in me. And so know. I'm, I'm picking, picking about that and find that kind of stuff interesting as well, even though I am a biologist.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I do find that stuff interesting. So I totally listen to that as well.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's important. You know, it's, I don't know that, you know, kids with texting and things nowadays are, 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 are having trouble with this. Or, you know, it's, 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 I think it's important. So, um, maybe a, a lost skill in the future. Um, okay. So how about this one? Number two, my neighbor's landlord's best friend's friend. It's an interview podcast in which the host meets and interviews the entire friend network of his neighbor's landlord's best friend, his entire neighbor. So, you know, his entire friend network.
2: All right. It's sociology and <laughs> political science. It's current events. Uh, I'm going to defer to Mary on this one. John, I got to say, if this is your lead podcast, I'm looking for your competition. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nothing uh, personal there. No, no I think...
1: It might be interesting to see how much variety there is in the friend network. You know, how many, you know, different, kinds of friends does the landlord have the, you know, different ways of making living things like that. You know, are yeah. I kind of seeing how wide their friend network is.
0: It could be a sad, sad podcast. If there's only one friend, <laughs> Yeah, no, <there's-> <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, one podcast. All right. So last one, and then we'll, we'll move on. Dump two conclusions. Each episode, our hosts are given a week's worth of household garbage. And after spending some time with it, they try to describe the people who live in the house. Then they bring the garbage creators on the show and see how their guesses stack up. I actually think that's pretty interesting. I might listen to that one.
1: It's like in modern day archaeology. Um, basically, that's who, archaeologists. Whenever they're on a dig, they love to find a garbage midden because it tells us so much about um, how people lived in the past. So this is just kind of an updated version of it.
2: Yeah, I like that. Yeah. John, you are drawing all of my secret confessions out of me here today. <laughs> there was a, a show on Fox Network about two years ago called uh-huh. Crime Kitchen. And the premise of Crime Kitchen is that they litter the kitchen with a spatula with a little bit of powdered sugar on it and some baking trays and the mixer. And then people had to go in, read the clues, and then bake what was baked in that kitchen. Uh-huh. So it's it's a cooking competition, but it's also kind of a mystery competition. I was obsessive about that show. That actually sounds really interesting it does. and that's what this sounds like yeah what can we read from
0: the clues and what can we project based on those clues i i like it i like it i i also like that you know with all the answers y'all both kind of went to educational background like you know, sociology archaeology that's that feels very uh instructor professor like so that's I, I i like that um Okay. Well, those podcasts won't ever probably be a thing. And if they are, I'm going to, y'all will be the first to know. right so we are here to talk about open educational resources which uh you know we are all on that team so um for those who don't know so i'm i was one of those people right before i joined the committee so how would y'all best describe open educational resources to somebody that has no ideas
2: well the thing i would start with john is to suggest that that phrase is very important mm-hmm. in an open educational resource. Mm-hmm. It sounds overly complicated in a way. And I think your question's inviting me to simplify it a little bit. Sure. sure. Let me use a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this when I saw this in Vermont. The people in Vermont, at least where I saw it, would put their extra eggs out by the roadside, by their mailbox. And you were free just to stop by and take the eggs if you needed the eggs. Mm-hmm. And they had a surplus of eggs on their farm and they didn't need it. So just on the Omni system, take what you need. Yeah. That's what I see OER is I'm making my content available. I've written a textbook, or I've written a lab unit, or I've created a PowerPoint, and I'm putting it out there for somebody else to use if they would find value in that in their classroom. So it's the free exchange of content that can be used in classrooms. Okay, I'd argue that's a working definition. Uh, so both of y'all are using OER, creating OER.
0: Let's let's talk about what drove you to do that. Why, why did you start that? Mary, you wanna start us off on?
1: well a couple of reasons um i teach non-majors biology and so these students that are taking my class are taking it because they need to check off the science box on their degree plan and i didn't see any reason that they needed to buy a very expensive textbook we actually had a really good non-majors book that we're using and it it was actually written from the ground up for non-majors biology so it's a wonderful book but like all textbooks nowadays it costs quite a bit of money and the the online access to it th- through um, the publisher's um, platform even though it was less expensive it was still expensive and some students had problems accessing that and I'm like okay and just about that time I'd started learning about stacks and things like that and so I looked into it and I thought you know Worry for students that are not science majors. Worry have them spend a lot of money for something that they're going to use for one, maybe two semesters. Whenever there's information out there that we can use, that's not, it's going to be more cost effective for them. It's going to make it easier for them. It'll make life easier for them because they're not worried about okay, where am I going to get money for this textbook? How am I going to how am I going to pay for this? So that's one reason I started using it is just to increase student access and also um the way i use it is i provide um the textbook chapters as pdfs in brightspace and so if they can access brightspace they can access the textbook chapters whereas um using certain other platforms we had a lot of connectivity issues and things like that the last time i was using um our the one that the publisher one that we normally use. So that was one of the main reasons was just both cost and ease of access.
0: Did you see a positive? uh... I
1: did. I did. Um, I had students whenever I was still using the publisher book that for one reason or another, either financial or other reasons, wouldn't buy the access code for the book. Yeah. Or wouldn't buy the book. And like I said, there were a variety of reasons. And so just an increase in the access in students using the textbook has increased quite a bit. I don't have any hard numbers, but just what I see observing my students, whenever they are in class and accessing the materials through Brightspace, it seems quite a bit better.
2: Yeah, great. Okay. Well, tonight, look, I share Mary's experience about teaching non-majors. All students are required to teach, it, to take English. No one takes English joyously and I think I have a few English majors. So it's the same thing. They're not going to cherish this book and keep it for decades on their show. It's a one-time use. So could we find a practical book that serves the purpose without breaking the bank? Now I have a, a slightly different question of why I started using OER, mm-hmm. guilt. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's the guilt factor. I, when I first started teaching here, I was given a textbook and I was told teach. And I didn't know any better, so I was like, well, okay, I guess I have to teach from the book. Yeah. But I could not, in this big, fat, overstuffed composition textbook, I couldn't teach every chapter. There, there was too much content in the book, we couldn't race through it, we'd just be reading a chapter a week, and we wouldn't ever be writing it. So I picked and chose which chapters I wanted to read, but that meant like two-thirds of the book, we never even cracked. Yeah. And I thought, well, what a waste. And it might seem very dumb to students that we pay, I shelled out $112 for this book and we only read three chapters. Yeah. we learned a lot, we wrote very good essays, but the book was becoming an obstacle. And students pointed that out in my course evaluations, like he doesn't use the textbook very well. And they were right. Yeah. And that became one of my impetuses to begin to think, well, can I solve that problem? Can I use the textbook more effectively? Or maybe could I reconceive, do I need this textbook? Or could I find something else? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's one thing that uh, I was impressed with OER when I started learning about it is that it's not just, hey, here's free material. You can actually take it and do something with it. You can just take pieces of it and you can make it your own. Being a former teacher, you kind of tend to want to build the class to be your own. So, one question though that I get that comes up when I talk about OER. And I'm still learning. So it's one question that I want y'all to answer for me too, is the quality. So we have people that are, are are concerned about, well, if it's free, and I think they may confuse it with going and Googling something, right? You pull something from Google or
2: Wikipedia and the quality is in question. All right. My thoughts on quality relate to what you just said about Google. Now we can Google something or we can go to Google Scholar, and there are different types of Google. Well, my experience with OER is more the Google Scholar side. And, and I was just having a conversation with our dean yesterday about somebody's concern with a statistics textbook and that our professor found error after error after error in this OER statistics book. So I'm not discounting that there, is, there may be quality concerns with OER texts. However, my experience is that with English books that I've found, they're good. And they might be even great. And often what I'm saying is it's English professors, maybe at uh, one of the ones I really like from the University of Hawaii, the faculty at the University of Hawaii English Department got together and they wrote their own book. And it's used by all the students at the University of Hawaii. And I can tell by the book that they took time to do it right. They thought about it. They vetted it through their other probably colleagues there. Mm. And it's a good product. And that's kind of my experience with most OER I've looked at is it's people who know what they're doing are putting good content out there because it makes them look good. And it's going to be good for their classes and for their students and maybe for their institution. Sure. So I have fewer of these concerns about is it because it's cheap, it must be cheap. Well, no, it's free, but that doesn't mean it's not well crafted and and somebody's passion. Often these things are well crafted and somebody's passion, and they just happen to be given away because the person has a beautiful spirit. And that's some of what I think can be remarkable. So I'm not discounting the fact that maybe my discipline is a little bit unique. And I'm gonna use some funny grammar here. English don't change, yeah. <laughs> right? English doesn't change, the rules are consistent. So we don't have to reinvent a paragraph or a chapter or a section that explains plagiarism or documentation or any of the number of things we need to do. Now, I understand in Mary's discipline, maybe we need to be more updated. Maybe we need to be more precise in the sciences, but English textbooks, English composition I found related to OER, they're impressively good. Great. That's awesome. so have you found the same thing or what? Which
0: Most thoughts?
1: part, yes. Um, my Most of my experience is with OpenStax textbooks and with um, both the majors and the non majors biology textbooks. And I'll, as I also teach ag economics, I have used the OpenStax micro book along with some stuff that I've put together. And by and large, what I have found, the quality has been very good. Um, you go and look at the authors, they're all um, educators, they're all credential, you know. They you know, you can look down and see see the list of authors that um were invited to contribute content and they're all good. It's like any other textbook. I mean, you can go to a publisher's textbook and find error after error after error. I've done it. <laughs> For years, yes. and you know, the the nice thing about the OpenStax textbooks is that if you find an error, you can submit it, and they will review it and fix it. Um, they're very, very good about that. And um, what I have seen, I think, especially with the majors textbook, it looked like with the non majors they had a longer list of authors. It looked like they had done more refining. They had put the the majors textbook out there. Um, it had a little bit less of a finished feel, with the non-majors, um, the concepts book, looked like it had been a lot, uh, had a lot more editing done to it and everything, but I still found errors and I submitted them and they got to them in a timely fashion. So my experience is that uh, the content is quite good. Yeah. Because like I say, there is that self, at least for OpenStax, I can't speak to other Um, other sources and other platforms, but at least for OpenStax there is that self-correcting mechanism that we see. Um, The other thing, quality-wise, is one thing about OER, the ancillaries may not not be quite as good as what we get from publishers because, I mean, for OpenStax they had a grant that they used to pay for all of this and so I think a lot of that went into the publication of the text and putting together the text, rather than worrying so much about the ancillaries. So that might be a weak point, but if the content of the of the textbook is good, you can work with the ancillaries. That's part of the instruction process: is looking at that and working with that.
2: Right. And so, by ancillaries, you mean test banks?
1: Yes, test bank, test banks, um, uh, PowerPoints. You know, lecture powerpoints that the things that you would get from uh, the publishers usually provide when you adopt their textbooks. Can
0: you, if you find an error and it is labeled for remix, I know you'd want to submit that to. So you, but can you take that and remix it yourself and yes. say, hey, I f- I fixed this So the, and for your students.
1: Um, OpenStax has started providing um, their books as Google Docs. So you can um, contact them and request access. They'll share the Google Docs folder. And so you can take, and yes, you can fix it yourself. Um, as long as you acknowledge the original authors and where you got the original book and provide that attribution, yes, you can go fix it yourself. Oh, wow. I, I've done that quite a bit. So
0: that's a, that, I think that's a really beautiful part too of, of OER because if you find those in correction, incorrect things in, in regular textbooks, you can contact the publisher, but those books are out there. They're, they're not getting changed. Maybe electronically they could, but, um, with these, you could actually make those changes and then the OpenStax people or whoever the OER, they can make the changes for other people to know. So, uh, I think that's, uh, one of the problems I've always thought about with, with, with textbooks is that, Hey, this information is from 10 years ago it's there's it's lots changed. so
2: right and let me say i had formerly worked in the textbook publishing business and Um, around new york for about six years in the field if the if you have to reprint something you need the market to drive that. yeah and if you're not going to make enough money off reprinting that book because you were correcting one or two errors they're going to wait till the next edition of the book so you're locked in for three years yeah with whatever that is yeah whereas as mary's suggesting with this digital publishing of our open stacks or OER resources, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I use an OER text in my classroom that I wrote, but I tell my students, if you find a typo in my book, I'll give you a bonus. And so they read my book a little bit more carefully. now. <laughs> and, and maybe sometimes that's they legitimately find an <laughs> error, but sometimes it opens up a discussion for, well, that's not technically an error, but I like the question you asked, so I can use it as a teaching opportunity. But I am also humble enough to admit that it's not a perfect book, and I appreciate the guidance of somebody who's reading it carefully. Yeah,
0: that's 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 awesome. I love I love to hear because that's not something you would think about. And I mean, having you write the book or or you create your own content as an instructor, we 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 come from a different place than publishers because as good as their content can be, they are driven by profit, and we're driven by student success, and and so. Oh, I almost would think OER could be better quality because we actually—it's—it's it's like when they say you're you're cooking a meal, they cook it with love because you can take love isn't—it's not a real ingredient, but you can taste it, right? So I feel like you can do that with maybe some of y'all's uh, created OER work. <laughs> uh, Nick, you talked about writing your own material. Tell me about that process. What made you want to? do that yourself to make it OER instead of saying, I I can make a little bit of money off of this.
2: All right. I I think that's an important and I think an ongoing question, because I think there's an ethical sort of moral question about, do you want to protect your copyrights and your time as an artist creator Mm -hmm. and monetize that? Or are you willing to give it away because you believe in the mission of this? Yeah. And I'm not trying to sound like a saint here, but the choice I made in this was initially I did both. I accepted a grant from the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board and they paid me up front to, and they commissioned me to develop an OER text based on the proposal I sent them. I was awarded the grant. So I I took a small stipend and I wrote the book I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. So I did have a little bit of motivation there. Now long-term, no, that was a one-time payment. So in many ways it's now publicly available. The book is used by MCC in most English classes here at the college, but it's also in a repository for the state of Texas, the OER Texas repository, and it can be adopted by others. So it's out there and I don't control it. And I'm happy with that. But I think I sidestepped your question about why did I choose to do this and what did I want to accomplish? Well, I think part of it was just that dissatisfaction with that big fat textbook that I can't use all of it is serving my purpose poorly. So what could I do differently? And I baby stepped toward that. My first baby step was to find other OER resources that were out there. And I began cherry picking three pages from this place, four pages from that place. And I just brought that into my course, my composition course, kind of a la carte, just to say, oh, well, we just need a little something today about topic sentences. Here are five paragraphs I'd like you to read. We don't need a whole chapter on topic sentences. And I began to see, well, that works really well. But then I wondered, well, why don't I just do what I want to do? Which is, it's my course. It's my curriculum. Let me instruct students the way I want them to get this instruction. But the other thing that i felt really good about with my project and maybe i'm jumping ahead in one of your questions here my book is only half me the other half of my book is student essays and the student essays were written by students here at McClinic community college that's why i love that we're featuring the student musician whose music is part of this podcast because in my book i get to feature hundreds of student essays and half the book is them not me and it's them being highly successful with the assignment so i'm trying to teach future students that if one student can do it another student can do it look it's here and it's published it's in a book it's an ebook it's an oer book but we have students who leave this college having been published in a book and i'm really proud to give them that venue. i think they're really proud because i mean
0: when i approached bill with this with the music his students were really excited so just having that out there so i can imagine your students are probably they probably have a copy of your book that they print it out, maybe on a printer album sitting on their coffee table and say, I, this is, I'm in this book. So I, I think as an educator that that, that can, I mean, I, I had those proud moments, so I can imagine how you
2: feel. Oh, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And just one more quick anecdote about this. I no. had long asked students in my class to consider granting me permission in writing to use their work in future classes. They sound uh-huh. like I'm just showing on. But when I began to show them that their work might be featured in the book, my permission rates almost doubled. But students also now began to say, but they wanted their work published in the book with their full name on it. It used to be just, they would say, just leave my name. But now they want that ownership. So there's a sense of pride. yeah. And, and I've seen it because I've seen the numbers of permissions and permissions with full author credit increase. Um, wow. That's,
0: that's great. I love hearing those stories, about students. Um, Mary, did so uh, Nick was talking about when he started, before he wrote, he was cherry picking things out there when you're out there looking at OER, do you look at whole textbooks or, or do you just cherry pick materials out? Or?
1: I basically do what Nick used to do. I cherry pick. So um, there's a couple of biology OER textbooks, again, the the, the, the majors book and then the, the non major's book. And there's also another one that I found um, on OpenStax that was a, a group of professors out school basically took that content and kind of made it their own but also shared it out through OpenStax, and so they had added some content and so basically i cherry pick from those three sources pull things together make my own little adjustments to it so um i don't use all of any one thing basically i just pull what i need for my class.
0: I'm learning more about OER as we're in this podcast. So I think that that's, that's awesome. Um, So like I said, I really love to hear about students and it's tough in my position because I don't get to work with them very often. So please let me live through your eyes and tell me some joy, joyous moments. And it doesn't have to be about students, but using OER, hopefully you had a moment when those like you know, get you right in the, the feels uh, uh, about that. So do y'all have any of those that, that you could share
1: with? Well, making me feel like it was a good choice. Like I say, just the increase, seeing students being able to use the material more and access it mm-hmm. um, more easily.
2: Yeah, just
1: I think that increases their chance for success is just making it more readily available to them. So I've seen that since I've started using it. I think I started using it in 2019 Uh and I've been using it since then. And so just seeing them use it and easier access for them has been really good.
2: Yeah, and I think ease of access, Mary, is 100% even now more, because you mentioned 2019. That's when we started using my OER textbook as well. But we know it happened in 2020 pandemic shuts us down. You everything is a little bit more increasingly digital versus physical. Well, the more these OERs, which are almost exclusively digital resources, are integrated or available for our students, I think it's easier for them because the concept of physically carrying books around is foreign to many students of this generation. And physically reading a book and annotating a book is not their method. Whereas if it's on their phone or their computer or some way that they can access it in a portable way, I think we're promoting their success. I agree. I have a statistic here, a few statistics about OER.
0: So uh, a 2018 report say uh, OER materials in place of traditional textbooks saved an average of one hundred twenty eight dollars per course. Um, they also took another 2018 report found that A majority of users that used OER found them to be high quality and save students money on textbook. Um, also another study talked about how they did better on tests on end of course exams than those who used traditional textbooks. So there's some interesting statistics out here on OER and so I definitely see how our students can be successful if, if we uh, are using it more. I'd like to see some of our data and I don't know, I'm about to talk to Laura about maybe some statistics and maybe doing some surveys on that. And I think, I actually think we're, I think Yolanda's working on that or, um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of, out of that data for our,
2: our students. Cause everybody, every college is, is, is different. So. Yeah. And John, I think that's really interesting data that suggests that they do as well or better using an OER or slash digital resource. But here's my question concern. Are instructors as confident with these digital resources? Now, I know OER and digital are not the same thing, Mm -hmm. but how are instructors doing with this new world? Which I think is one of the challenges that we should also be exploring in this.
0: Exactly. Well, and I think that's part of this Com- the reason this committee exists is because you two are great assets to our faculty and uh, so prepare for many emails after this podcast comes out. Um, but also the OER committee is a, a great resource to to help people get started. Um, what So speaking on that, what would you if somebody was interested, if I was a faculty member and I'm interested in OER, What's the best place to start? Where would I, how would I start? Where would I start? What do you, what suggestions would y'all have?
2: Well, the first thing I would suggest is talk to colleagues who may be involved. You, should, you know, let's just chat about what seems to be happening because in a lot of ways we don't have to reinvent the wheel. If somebody, if our neighbor down the hall is doing the same thing that we might like to do, that's the best resource to start. But uh, finding a side note, Mary, you use stacks, is that right? Yes. One of the ones I'm hoping I'm going to get the name right is Creative Commons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just went on Creative Commons and it's just a database of a whole bunch of books. And I just went down so many rabbit holes and I had so much for it. <laughs> what's available? What's got? It was stunning.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mary, what, what, would, what would you suggest?
1: Well, I think at the time there was an initiative to start using, looking at OER and um, inclusive access. And so coupled with some experiences that I had in spring 2019 semester, I started looking at it there. Like Nick, I would recommend talking to people that were already um, using OER materials, but just start exploring for yourself. Mm -hmm. There is, there's so much out there, especially now. um, The OER Texas website um, has a lot of stuff that, um, the entire OpenStax Biology textbook is available on the oer texas website and there's so many other resources as well so just start exploring start looking um as we said sometimes you know you kind of have to do your own vetting yeah Uh, you have to look at it and make your own decisions about well how good is the quality you know does it does it do what i need it to do Mm. so there you know you kind of you kind of have to be your own editor and your own um, do your own due diligence. Sure. On that. Yeah. But just start looking at and seeing what's out there because there is a lot of stuff now, and then lots more being created all the time.
2: <laughs> Which is the good news and bad news because one of the I mean let's acknowledge one of the downsides of this is it takes time. Yeah. Yes. yes. So the challenge is having the energy to maintain the search for let me find another resource and another resource and. Honestly, sometimes it's difficult to upend your standard curriculum for a new. It
1: chart. is.
2: Sure. Yes. Creative. But, you know, I would like to encourage people, I, the analogy I find comfort in is it's like going to a thrift stores or garage sales. Maybe you strike out quite a bit, maybe you drive around and waste a lot of gas, but if you find the find, the really good thing, it can be worth it. Yeah. And that's yes. what I have found. Some, some of those resources I've found that I think were just remarkable. And honestly, now that I'm using my own textbook, I grieve the loss of some of those other resources I used in between, cause they were good. Yeah.
0: You can also talk to the OER committee. I think we're here to help. I think instructional design is starting to get more into uh, OER and learn more about that. So we're more than happy to help you the uh, OER groups, working group committee, which I've and now, and Nick is officially part of. Now we're, we're making you a member. Um, I, we're more than help, happy to, to share what we know about OER and help you out. Um, did you want to, any last thoughts on OER before
2: we wrap up? <laughs> well, look, I'll jump in just one more time. Sure. You, you said one more thing. You said one thing earlier that you said, well, maybe OER could be better than standard textbooks, but you kind of swallowed that a little bit. You almost didn't want to say that they could be better. I'll say they could be better. Yeah. They might be better. And in a lot of ways they are better because they're more responsive, they're more flexible and mm-hmm. they're more tailored to what you literally want. So in a lot of ways, I'm, 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 pom-poms going here. I'm cheering for this <laughs> because I've seen the rewards. I've seen yeah. my class transform from me not knowing how to teach and trying to make a textbook work to me feeling really good about my class because I'm using resources that I believe in. Yeah. Well, I think it's different coming from you
0: than coming from me, from coming from me having lived it in your classes and, and both of you. And um, I think Paula also want to mention her as well and uh, wanted to have her on the podcast, but maybe next time she can come on. So Paula uh, Unger also using OER. Um, Anyway, thank you all so much for coming on the podcast. It has been a lot of fun chatting with y'all and learning more about OER and our OER group. And if y'all have any questions, you can uh, contact me or contact Nick. I'm sure Mary would be happy to help you out or anybody on the OER committee. thank you to brandon ecord for letting us use his music it was awesome love the songwriting department and uh bill howard out there uh helping me out getting those students in there want to give a shout out to them uh and thank you all for listening to another episode of mac talks we appreciate it follow us on instagram on i think we have facebook now i don't know that's oh, that's old school now i don't know we don't have a, any of the new stuff the tiktoks or anything so instagram facebook you can subscribe to us on your any of your major podcasts out there and uh, check back with us again for the next Max Talks. Bye-bye.